Hi, this is Dr. Richard Shore, and you are listening to Salus Populi, the podcast of the Suffolk Academy of Medicine and the Suffolk County Medical Society. In this episode, I interview Scott Powdy, an insurance expert with the firm of Cornerstone, a division of risk strategies. Scott has 10 plus years of experience in the professional insurance sphere with particular expertise in medical liability insurance. In this episode, Scott and I discuss the differences between the various types of medical liability insurance, risk retention groups, and common pitfalls to avoid. I certainly wish I had this discussion with Scott 20 years ago. I hope you enjoy and find it informative. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Salus Populi. Let's start by having you tell us a bit about your background and your firm. Sure. Uh, my name is Scott Paldi. I'm an independent agent for malpractice insurance. Uh, my background is actually I have a degree in engineering and an MBA in finance, a little bit different than uh, a typical insurance background. Um, our firm is Cornerstone. We're a division of risk strategies. And we've been doing medical malpractice insurance for over 25 years. Me personally, it's been over 12 years. And uh, Risk Strategies on a whole does all types of insurance, but again, we just specialize in malpractice. Do all physicians need medical liability insurance, in your opinion? Well, that's a good question, because depending on the state you're in, it's not required. In fact, in New York, there's no law that says you have to carry medical malpractice insurance, um, but the problem is that if you have privileges at a hospital, they're not going to let you work there without having malpractice insurance. Um, other states, it's required. So if you work in New Jersey, it's required. Um, but states like Florida do not have to have malpractice insurance. And in fact, as long as you carry a bond, the hospitals don't even um, you know bother you to, to carry malpractice insurance. Is a bond, though, is that similar to insurance? It's basically saying you have funds available uh, in the event of uh, some type of claim against you. So basically, you're, you're giving them a promissory note that you have funds in a bank account somewhere that could potentially be used uh, in the event of a claim. Interesting. So you're basically, they're requiring you to self-insure? Pretty much, yes. One issue in New York is even if you don't have privileges at a hospital, if you take or participate with managed care plans, commercial managed care plans, they make you carry professional liability insurance. That's correct. So, yeah, if you have any kind of reimbursement from a uh, you know plan, like you said, you need to carry malpractice insurance as well. What types of liability insurances do physicians need? So are you considering, like, the different currents versus claims made versus, you know, uh, other coverages out there or different types of insurance altogether? Well, sure. Why don't we start off with a, a discussion of the difference between an occurrence policy, a claims made policy, and what's rarely ever sold, thank God, is a claims paid policy. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, 
when I came out of training, I did not know the difference between any of these things. So I think it's a good discussion to have if there's any young physicians out there in training who are listening. Uh, these little details make a huge difference as you get towards the end of your career. Is that tr- correct? That, that's correct. And, uh, you know, it's a shame because one of the classes that should be offered to, uh, you know, medical students is, you know, insurance because it's a big part of their practice if they're, you know, uh, you know sole independent physician. Um, and unfortunately, it's not talked about. And then once you get out of school, um, nobody basically fills you in on how to navigate the insurance market. Uh, but the difference between the, the three different policies, Dr. Shore, is that, you know, an occurrence policy reacts when um, the incident occurred. So, for example, if you get sued today for something that happened five years ago, the policy enforced five years ago would cover the claim. Um, with a claims made policy, the policy reacts when the claim is made. So in the same example, if you got sued today for something that happened five years ago, the policy enforced today would cover the claim. Claims paid, and you're absolutely right, stay away from that if you really see it anymore because it's really ridiculous. It's, it reacts when that claim is actually paid or closes. So if you switch carriers or something happens before the claim pays or closes, there's no coverage in place. So they'll, they'll defend you up until the point of if you leave, um, they're not going to pay for the claim. It's ridiculous. So stay away from claims paid for sure. Right. I've only seen uh, one time where that was offered, and the hospitals out here would not even accept it. And that was a couple right. of years ago when the RRG uh, craze was coming into New York. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But one policy was only offering claims paid policies. I actually know some physicians who took it. I think that's that, crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, why would one choose one type of policy over another? Well, depending on where you are in your, you know, career and, you know, what your plans are, um, they're both, you know, very good options depending on what you're going to be doing. Um, many groups uh, would prefer claims-made policy. Many insurance carriers would prefer you take claims-made uh, because when they offer an occurrence policy, they're on the hook for the liability forever. Uh, with a claims-made policy, if you stay with a carrier for four or five years and then switch to another carrier, they have no further liability. The previous carrier has no further liability uh, going forward. With the currents, they're on the hook forever. Um, so from the doctor's standpoint, uh, an occurrence policy um, is basically um, owned by that carrier forever, and you're going to see it's a higher-priced product um, because they own that liability forever. With a claims-made policy, it starts out about 34% of what the what's called the mature premium would be, and it steps up each year over the course of five to eight years, depending on the carrier, and then will reach about the same price as the occurrence policy. So, you, you know, inevitably you're going to get to the same pricing level, um, but a claims-made policy starts out lower. The catch with a claims-made policy is that there's a tail at the end. Um, and what a tail is, is basically locking in all of that past exposure um, that you usually have to pay one time in a couple of situations. If you decide to sell out to a hospital, if you join a larger group, they may not pick up what's called your retroactive date. If you leave the state of New York or a different state, um, some states will not pick up the retroactive date from another state uh, because the laws are different and the, the coverage limits are different. Um, so with a claims-made policy, you have that tail at the end. Now, if you 
make it all the way to retirement, um, you'll get a free retirement tail, most likely, depending on the carrier again. Um, it also would give you a free tail if you become uh, disabled or, you know, God forbid, pass away. So those are the three criteria to get a free free tail. Um, if none of those things happen and you have a, an event where, like I said before, if you leave the state or sell out to a hospital, you will be on the hook to purchase the tail. And in New York, usually the tail is 200 times or, or two, two times, I should say, not 200 times, or 200% of the uh, premium. So if you're paying, you know, say $20,000 today, you can expect the tail to be at least $40,000, um, which is very expensive. Sure. So usually, you know, if, if you can afford a occurrence policy, you can start with an occurrence policy, um, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, a tail. Uh, if you're later in your career and want to save some money, it's a great way to save some money because you can switch to a claims-made policy, uh, re- you know, realize that savings, and then retire with a free retirement tail. Um, but if you, and or if you plan to never never change your your specialty as far as you know uh, surgical versus non-surgical, if you decide uh, not to leave the state at all, if you if you decide that you're never going to sell out, then of course claims made is a, is a fine option as well. Um, so that's really the, the two main differences between the policy. I mean, I think that uh, with occurrence, if you, all things being equal, if you can afford it, it's the best policy to get. I mean, it's it's the as far as the you know the, the limits would be stacked year after year. Um, as far as you don't have to worry about tail, it's very transferable. Um, there's no real strings attached. Yes, it's it's definitely a. Uh, uh, an easier policy for physicians. Uh, claims made has its benefits, uh, but you also have to remember that they they stretch out that limit. It renews every year, but it's stretched out over the course of all of your past years. So if you've had a claims made policy for the past 10 years, um, you know, today in 2018, you have only 1 million slash 3 million for all of those past years. So in the unlikely event that you had, you know, say four or five claims pop up this year, for all the past years, um, you only have that one one million slash three million available, or in New York, one point three, three point nine. Right. Um, with occurrence, you have individual limits, one point three, three point nine for each of those years. So, in that same example, if you had four or five claims pop up this year, depending on when they occurred, you know that's those policies enforced back then would cover the claim. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a huge difference, and I don't think that people truly comprehend that i most people i know have claims made policies and most people i know uh didn't even know that they were switched from occurrence at some point in the past to claims made and somebody pocketed the difference right uh yeah so so claims made just you know nationally is is more widely used, and only because the carriers in a lot of states won't offer an occurrence policy. Um, you know, claims made is better for the carriers, like I said earlier, that, you know, they can uh, get off of the liability at some point if they want to, whereas with occurrence, they're on the hook, and they have to keep that liability on their books forever. Um, so, you know, it's it benefits the carrier. They want to, they want to have doctors on claims made. Um, in certain states, like I said, it's not available at all to have occurrence. Um so, but you'll see pockets and definitely specialties. So in New York, where downstate, where 
you know, there's a lot of surgical specialties where the pricing is very high. You'll see a lot of those doctors with claims-made policies because they try to take advantage of the lower premiums to begin with. Uh, upstate, you're going to see more occurrence um, because the pricing is lower. You know, states like New Jersey and, you know, even now Pennsylvania, um, they're mostly occurrence now. Um, so it really just depends on the, the pricing, state, carriers available. Now, you deal with all 50 states? I can deal with all 50 states. Um, no, I like to touch and feel my clients um, and, and not in a creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> I just so I want to make sure I'm in front of them. So most of my clients are in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, but I do have clients uh, all over the country. So all things being equal, would you counsel your clients to uh, who was, say, a fresh client, uh, fresh start, would you counsel them, if they can afford it, to go to Currents? Uh, absolutely. Only because, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. I had a plastic surgeon. This was a few years back. Came right out of residency or fellowship. Um, started his own practice. And, you know, we went back and forth about occurrence versus claims made. He, um, you know, ended up taking a claims made policy. Three years later, he called me up and he said, Scott, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm going to join the hospital. I sold out to the hospital. Um, you know, what do I need to do? And, you know, the tail price for him at the time was $78,000. And when I told him that, and, you know, he was, you know, didn't have that money accrued, really what you should do if you're going to go claims made is take that difference in the in the claims made price versus the current price and put it away in the event that you have to basically pay for that tail or accrue for that tail. Um, he did not do that, and he, you know, got slapped with a $78,000 charge, which he wasn't expecting. I had another case where a young OBGYN in New York, um, you know, unbeknown to her group that she was working for, decided to leave and make a deal with the hospital in Connecticut. Um, you know, to your point earlier, she wasn't told anything about the pitfalls of malpractice insurance or insurance in general, didn't really realize she had a claims made policy, didn't negotiate with the hospital, um, you know, to have them pick up the, the cost of the tail. And then when she decided to, hey, I'm going to leave the, the practice, her tail cost was $240,000, um, which was insane. We were able to negotiate with some other carriers to get a better price on the tail, but it, it still was like $200,000. Yeah, so, I, I like to say, you know, I'm a urologist, so I like to say insurance is like a urethra. If you have to think about it, you have a problem. That's right. Exactly. That's so right. no one ever thinks about their urethra unless they have urethritis, and no one ever thinks about their insurance unless they need to. And it's very, very unpleasant. And these discussions are best to have proactively. And I absolutely. really absolutely. And, the, and to your point, Doctor Shore, is that it's it's honestly it's taboo for the doctors. They don't want to talk about their malpractice insurance. They don't like that they have to pay for it. You know, they hate that it's even there, and you know, they don't even like the thought of being sued. Um, so it's not discussed. And even amongst, you know, other doctors in, you know, private settings, it's really not discussed. And people don't want to disclose their claims and what's going on in their history and uh, what they're paying for their malpractice. And it really should be because that's the only way that you're going to fully understand what's going on in the market and, you know, fully understand what, what's available to you. Right. I mean, I wish I had met you many years earlier, obviously. I made, I didn't make every mistake in the book, but I certainly made my my uh, fair share of them. Uh, what does what does it mean to have a consent clause in the policy? Sure. So, you know, most 
policies will give you unconditional consent to settle. So what that means is that if you get sued and you want to go to trial, regardless of what the carrier feels the outcome will be, they have to go to trial. So unconditional means there's no conditions around your consent to settle, meaning that they have to come to you and say, hey, we want to settle this claim for, say, $200,000. And if you say, I do not want to settle, I want to go to trial, they 100% have to go to trial and, and you know, fight for you to the best of their ability. Um, there are policies out there with um, you know, conditions on their consent, so that's why you want to make sure it's an unconditional consent to settle. Um, you know, some of the conditions are if we can't reach you within 30 days, if uh, you know, there's a review board that says you should settle, we're still going to settle the policy. Um, there's sometimes what's called a hammer clause on the policy, and a hammer clause is the that if the carrier says you should settle for $200,000 and they fight the case for you because you don't want to settle and it settles for, say, $700,000, you are on the hook for the difference. Um, and, of course, they call it a hammer clause because once you, they, the lawyer tells that to a doctor, what are they going to do? They're going to sign the paper to settle. Because they're basically hammering you to say, hey, either sign this or you're going to get slapped with the difference in, in uh, um, you know, indemnity. So, well, that's, I mean, that's, I hit, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. But even without a hammer clause, the um, what they do is they come to say, well, you don't have to sign this, and it's certainly within your rights as a policyholder, but if it goes over the limits of your policy, we're not going to uh, support you in the post-trial uh, haircuts that happen. Right. And right. that's the same, if effectively. So... The consent policies uh, are very important to have, and I really strongly suggest that policyholders make sure they have them. However, if if the plaintiffs have the goods on you, you're probably not going to use it anyway, I think. And you're only going to use it if, if it's a really frivolous lawsuit, in your opinion. And you right. really think, or the damages are not anywhere possibly going to go above your limits. Right. I would think. But, you know, we recommend to all of our clients to make sure that they get you know, the uh, consent to settle, unconditional consent to settle. Um, some of the carriers will offer a discount for you not to take the consent to settle. So like they'll give you 5% off your premium if you choose to waive your consent to settle. I recommend do not do that. It's not worth the 5% um, you know, it, just to you know, save the money. You're going to be down the road one day, and to your point, that you know if it is a frivolous lawsuit and they feel they can get out for you know a hundred thousand um, dollars, and they don't want to fight it, then you it's your good name. You know you don't you want to make sure that carrier is going to fight for you, and if you don't want to settle, you shouldn't have to settle. You know. I agree. I agree one hundred percent. And uh, again, you know every mistake in the book, and. Uh, I would hopefully think that there are some physicians or med students or residents listening to this who are going to take heed. As you said, most doctors like discussing insurance like they like discussing funeral plans. That's right. They don't. <laughs> what, uh, what is a risk retention group and how is it different from an admitted carrier? Sure. So a risk retention group, uh, also known as RRG, as you know, mentioned earlier, um, is more federal regulated than state regulated. So an admitted carrier, so we'll take New York, for example, an admitted carrier.
rights, they're regulated by the state of New York. They're also protected by the state's guarantee fund. So in New York, if a carrier goes out of business, the state will step in and cover claims up to a million dollars for a certain period of time. In other states like New Jersey, the state guarantee fund only covers up to $300,000 for a certain period of time. So years back when uh, Mix went out of business in New Jersey, the state stepped in. They settle as many claims as possible for up to the $300,000. They'll leave the, the window open for a year or two after that, and then they'll say, that's it, there's no more coverage available. So the, the main difference between the two is, you know, the state steps, sets the rates for the admitted carrier. You're protected by the state's guarantee fund. And, um, you know, really, the state is looking out for your best interests. With a risk retention group, it's federal regulated, not state regulated, so they basically file under the Risk Retention Act, and they, they'll domicile in one state, but they'll either file their rates with that state or file their rates federally, depending on how uh, they're set up, and then they're not subject to the same rules and regulations of, say, the state of New York. So you've seen an influx of risk retention groups in New York because they don't want to be subject to the state's regulations, and they will basically circumvent those regulations by becoming a risk retention group, and then they can offer, you'll see lower pricing sometimes from risk retention groups in New York uh, than the admitted carriers. Um, so that's the main difference. Oh, and they're not protected by the state's guarantee fund. So a risk retention group in New York is not protected by the state's guarantee fund. The other thing in New York that's different from every other state in the country is that if you are with an admitted carrier and you are an accredited hospital in New York, you're eligible for the what used to be called the Section 18 free access coverage. So you'll get another million dollars worth of coverage from the state of New York if you meet those criteria. The risk retention groups are not eligible for that Section 18 coverage. Now, a lot of the risk retention groups will price you the higher 2.3, 6.9 limits um, at a still lower price, but um, you know it's they're not eligible for the free Section 18 access. Uh, and the RGs, in my ex understanding and experience, tend to domicile in states with that are insurance friendly as opposed to insurance friendly or policyholder friendly, like Nevada. Correct. You'll see a lot of Nevada. You'll see some some in D.C. You'll see any any state that's going to be not as strict on the rules and regulations for you know their pricing and how they run their business. Um, you know they're usually domiciled in which is, you know, good and bad. You know, some of these smaller RRGs, um, you know, they're doing it to try to make money in the business. And, you know, they're here today and gone tomorrow. We've seen in New York where a handful of RRGs have disappeared um, over the years because, you know, they'll come in, they'll undercut the pricing, um, they'll start to get claims, and they can't handle the uh, you know, amount of liability, and they have to go out of business. Um you know, some of the other larger carriers that have come into New York as RGs, um, they're admitted in every other state in the country, but they don't want to be admitted in New York because of the overregulation and the, the that the state sets the rates and is very strict on how they set rates. Um, so they come into New York to offer better pricing, and um, hopefully, you know, we'll, time will only tell, but hopefully it's uh, uh, responsible pricing and, you know, the doctors are saving money and um, the uh, company is still viable. Right. I, there's a reason why insurance of any type of insurance, whether it's car insurance or health insurance or medical liability insurance, 
disability insurance. There's a reason why New York is has higher insurance rates than virtually every other state, and that's because the New York uh, insurance regulation is very much in favor of the consumer as opposed to the company, and it protects us. So right. we don't have to worry that if they, if in some states, if the insurance company doesn't get your check on the first of the month, they drop you immediately. Right. And in New York, you have an automatic, I think it's 60 days. So they, and they have to send you certified letters. They can't play those games, uh, which I think it, it, there's a lot of comfort in that. And I personally would, if I could afford it, would rather pay the higher premiums if I could afford right. it. If you can't afford right. it, you got, if you're going to go out of business because you can't pay the premiums, then you have to do what you need to do. But in general, I think if you can afford an admitted carrier, it's probably better. Would that be a correct assessment? Yeah, I mean, if you can afford it, absolutely. Um, you know, if you're going to go the RRG route, then and the issue, not only in New York, but in every state for doctors, is that, you know, they keep getting squeezed, the overhead keeps increasing, the reimbursements keep decreasing, the rules and regulations keep increasing, so it's really tough to be, you know, an independent physician today, and, you know, so if you can save money in your malpractice, you definitely want to, but you want to make sure it's a reputable company. You want to make sure it's, you know, uh, many of the RRGs are now uh, rated. So you want to make sure it's a rated by AM Best carrier. You want to make sure that they have a uh, track record in not only your state, but uh, nationally if possible. Um, you know, so you want to basically vet your insurance carrier before you decide to make a uh, decision to... Um, move your coverage. And that's what you do? Absolutely. That's my job, is to basically present you with all the options available um, and then let you make the decision. You know, I'll inform you of everything, each, you know, the pros and cons of each carrier, and then you make the informed decision. And, you know, many physicians, not always the lowest possible price because, you know, you, you know we've heard the saying, you get what you pay for. Um, when you need the coverage, you want the carrier to be there. You want the carrier to defend you to the best of their ability. And you want them to, you know, basically have your back the entire time. You know, some of these smaller carriers that may not have the, um, you know, uh, infrastructure for risk management, have the infrastructure to, you know, have their claims people handle the case. You know, you may not want that, um, and it may not be worth the, you know, 5 or 10% that you're going to save. Right. I mean, sometimes, uh, for for example, with uh, MedPro, which is one of the ones that uh, you seem to like, yeah. uh, the savings over medical liability or PRI, and, and PRI has its own set of problems, but the savings over those two companies is very substantial, and the quality of the company is, uh, well, I think it's better than PRI and certainly on par with MLMIC. Would you agree with that? Right. Well, I, I don't, definitely don't want to badmouth any one carrier, but I can tell you that, um, you know, Medical Protective is a national carrier, you know, owned by Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett. They're the largest carrier in the country for medical malpractice insurance. They're A++ rated. And when they came into New York, you know, they immediately were rated. They're now the third largest carrier in New York. Um, and the difference that, and it's actually helped doctors with the admitted carriers, the big difference is that, you know, um, the way the state was allowing the Melnicks and the PRIs uh, to operate was um, 
three discounts. It was the rate was the rate depending on if you were one doctor or a hundred doctors didn't make a difference. Uh, what you know, MedPro um, does differently, and even Covaris and some of the other RGs is they'll look at the um, you know obviously the claims history of the group. They'll look at the size of the group. They'll look at you know uh, their actuarial data that says that we feel that this specialty is a better specialty than this other specialty maybe or a less risky specialty and they'll price it accordingly and that's where you're seeing a lot of the savings because why should you if you're a doctor that doesn't have any cases be paying for you know other doctors in the state of New York that uh, have many cases um, and you shouldn't so I mean that was the big difference what we've seen over the years since some of these RRGs have come into the market now your Melmix and PRIs both offer claims free discounts um, they're trying to move to group pricing, but that has to be filed still with the state of New York. Um, they're trying to uh, get other kinds of voluntary attending discounts and other uh, purchasing program discounts um, to try to offset and to try to be competitive with the ROGs. Because they realize that, you know, the doctors are going to move to where the they can pay the least amount of uh, price for their malpractice insurance. And, you know, it, as much as you have them saying and, you know, as we just said, it's all about, you know, the coverage and it's about being protected. Some doctors will still move as, for as low as the price will be. Does having some settlements and adverse judgments automatic, automatically make it impossible for a doctor to get coverage? So, in general, 99% of the time, no matter, you know, what your history is, you can get coverage just a matter of pricing. Um, you'll find that the more carriers look at two different things, frequency and severity, right? So the more cases you have, that's not good. The, the more severe cases you have, that's not good. And with those two, um, those two criteria, uh, that will impact your pricing. So if you have one case that opens up, chances are you're not going to be impacted. It also depends on the carrier. You won't be eligible for, for a claims-free discount with, say, like a Melnick or a PRI, but, you know, uh, MedPro or Covaris may or may not you know, um, take away your claims-free credit if you have one case that opens up. Because they realize, look, cases can be frivolous, and if one case opens up and it's really a frivolous case, why should you be penalized? Um, the more cases you have, and if you have significant payouts, it's going to impact your pricing um, across any of the carriers. And um, as far as insurability, you may be, get declined from certain carriers, but we can always find a carrier that will pick up your coverage but again, it could be very costly. What uh, What is a buying group, and how can a physician take advantage of one? So, you know, a purchasing group is a great way to um, bring down the cost of your malpractice insurance. So carriers love to get large groups um, because of the premium, right? If, if Dr. Shore is, you know, buying his insurance by himself um, versus... Dr. Shore is in with a group of, you know, two, three hundred physicians that are buying their insurance together. Dr. Shore now has more leverage. So that's that's the way it works. Um, and again, uh, with the admitted carriers in New York, so so the Melvix and the PRIs, we have to file with the, the state to get a discount across the board and show the actual actuarial data that will prove that this group deserves a discount. With the RRGs, they're sh surely looking at overall size of the group, the overall experience of the group, they're going to basically experience rate the group, and then that's how you're going to get a better discount. Um, 
So if you can get into a purchasing group, it's definitely a way that you could save 5%, 10%, maybe more on your insurance. Well, that is, uh, that's a terrific thing. I know that uh, we, through the IPA and um, of National Suffolk County, a, a bunch of us formed a buying group. Uh, how many doctors? Maybe 100? No, we have 200 in that group right now. That's incredible. And uh, I personally got a tremendous discount over over what I used to have for double the insurance. Yes, and in, in that particular uh, example, we were able to save another 15% for the doctors over what they were currently saving uh, with uh, the, that program's with MedPro right now. But, um, you know, they were saving before, and now they save an additional 15% by being part of the purchasing group. Well, I think after we hang up this call, I may keep you on the phone and just talk about my own personal uh, insurance options uh, sure. that I don't want to discuss in the public forum of Salus Populi. So how, how would somebody get in contact with you? Um, they can call me at any time. My 1-800 number is 1-800-508-1355. My cell phone, and I'm available you know, any time of the day, is 267-218-4536. And my email address is spaldi, P as in Peter, A-L-D-E, at risk strategies.com Oh great, that's terrific Okay, and of course uh, if you want to get in touch with Scott, you can contact me through the Suffolk County Medical Society or through my email which is r-i-c-h at d-r-s-c-h-o-o-r dot com that's rich at drshore.com Scott, thank you so much for your time and for agreeing to be a guest on Salus Populi. I'm sure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I will be happy to do it anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have just listened to another episode of Salus Populi, the podcast of the Suffolk Academy of Medicine and the Suffolk County Medical Society. This is your host, Dr. Richard Shore, MD, FACS. I am a practicing urologist in Smithtown, and I can be reached by email at rich at drschoor.com. The Suffolk Academy of Medicine is the information arm of the Suffolk County Medical Society. The Suffolk County Medical Society is the leading medical professional organization in New York that provides advocacy for physicians and patients alike. For more information, please visit our website, www.scms-sam.org. Again, this is Dr. Richard Shore, and thank you so much for listening to Salus Populi, the official podcast of the Suffolk Academy of Medicine.